turn, turn back with me to that. Uh, just for a second. Oh, well done. Thanks so much. Uh, if you want to have a look at it, you can. Uh, we've been looking at that in, uh, in, um, in our Bible reading plan. And we've seen there in the historic account recorded by Luke, uh, the Apostle Paul. And if you've been reading those last few chapters of, uh, of Acts, are just extraordinary, aren't they? Paul goes from trial to trial, injustice uh, to injustice. He is beaten on numerous occasions. He's flogged on numerous occasions. He visits towns. Riots are rallied against him. Uh, his life is a, is a, it's a tapestry, isn't it, of suffering and injustice. And yet, he never stops. He never stops. Acts finishes this way, if you look at it. Um, Acts 28, verse 31. Remember, he's under house arrest at this point, soon to be executed. Yet for two years, we read, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, if from that point you roll back just a couple of years, you get to somewhere around about 64, 66 AD. And that is the point of which we think 2 Timothy is written, the letter we have in front of us. Paul, if you have a look down, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, you'll see there that Paul is still in chains, uh, not probably under house arrest at this stage in Rome. More likely in a cold, a dark, damp prison cell. Outside of that cell, think of the context of the time, the Roman uh, Empire under Nero has begun its most intense persecution of Christians. It was unbearably tough, both for Paul, his circumstances, the church under the Nero persecution. A couple of years before, Paul had written his first letter to Timothy. But lots had changed since that first letter. So, you think about it, when Paul wrote that first letter to Timothy, he was a free man. Now he's in chains. An obvious distinction. Secondly, the first letter is much, much more generic. Uh, It spoke to the church as a whole. By contrast now, when you get to 2 Timothy, uh, it is far more personal. It is intense in many ways. It's a letter to a loved uh, friend, a fellow servant of the gospel. You'll see that in the language as we go through. To Timothy, you see, is for Timothy. Oh, yes, people would have been listening in. But it's very much for him as an individual. It's about Timothy for Timothy. And it perhaps is Paul's most personal of letters. Other things as well. At the time of writing to Timothy, Paul knew his time was very short. And 2 Timothy, therefore, is unique because in some ways it does feel like it's Paul's own kind of biographical signing off in his life, but also his ministry. It's a kind of a last will, if you like, and testimony. I don't miss the drama of where this is being written, why it's being written. And for whom it's being written. These are very tough times. And Paul longed to visit Timothy in his first letter, as he writes. But now he's resigned, if you like, of what's lying ahead of him. Uh, In the end, uh, he longs for actually Timothy to join him. Paul has uh, been deserted by Demas. Flick over the page, if you can, to chapter 4, verse 10. You'll see that Demas deserts him because he loved the world. He'd gone uh, to to Thessalonica. Paul, at this point, he longs for warmth, companionship. 
and he's concerned for Timothy back in Ephesus. Things are tough there. Ephesus, you see, wasn't a picture of a, a kind of a perfect church in any way. You know, this, there wasn't these kind of endless small group structures, you know, huge staff team, the massive social action programs with a huge building and kind of community. If you looked at the church in Ephesus, which Timothy is the, the leader, you wouldn't go, oh, look at that. I'd love to be there. It's not the picture perfect church. It was a fledgling church. And people were causing trouble in this church. Uh, if you go back to uh, 1 Timothy, you've got Hymenaeus and Philetus. Uh, uh, they've been expelled from the church for their false teaching. Uh, mentioned in the first letter, but we will see there's still problems, massive problems, within this letter of 2 Timothy. Mass desertion we'll see later on. Paul longs for Timothy to come to him soon, as you see in chapter 4, verse 9. Now, that could be simply to protect Timothy. Because things are that hard. Possibly just to give him a break. Possibly it could be just because Paul missed his friend. And in the last moments before his death, he's cold, he wants his cloak, he wants some other things as well. He wants to say farewell to his fellow servant in the the gospel, in person. But despite that request for Timothy to join him, at the present stage of which he receives this letter... The most pressing thing is he needed encouragement. And that is the immediate aim of this letter. Timothy needs encouragement to keep going. To keep proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. Circumstances and his personality, the resources of the church, the numbers of the church. Everything you see is stacking up against Timothy doing just that. Everything is shouting at him, stop! Every human reason is just give up, fold, just compromise, do something other than preach the gospel. But into his other ear comes Paul with a megaphone of apostolic authority and loving friendship. And he shouts, fan the flame, guard the gospel and preach the gospel. You see on your outlines there, I've put a few kind of introductory points. So those first few verses, uh, just to give you a broad idea of the the letter of 2 Timothy. Firstly, we notice in verse 1 that it is apostolic. We see Paul's authority spelled out. He does this in a lot of his letters for good reason. Look at verse 1 with me. Again, I'll refresh our minds of that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's an apostle uh, of Christ, writing and exercising his ministry by the will of God, we see. I don't know if many of you, anyone watch BBC Watchdog? Uh, My boys have sort of taken a liking to this program. I don't particularly like it, but I sit there with them and dutifully, fatherly kind of like comment at times. And basically, Watchdog is a program where they investigate lots of dodgy kind of dealings, don't they, and people uh, around the country. And, you know, you get these salesmen, they go to vulnerable members of the public and they try to sell them some completely unnecessary double glazing. It's always double glazing, isn't it? It seems to me. Uh, but there we go. And it's a great it's investigative journalism and that's good. Often the salesman, though, comes in, don't they? And they, and they state their made-up credentials. They have no proof, no evidence of their credentials whatsoever. Nothing to substantiate their claims. 
More importantly, often what they claim to be, you know, a fair salesman from a, a family-run company that has been doing this for, you know, 500 years uh, to serve the local community, it's absolute nonsense. And often they just go on then to undermine exactly what they've said and what they claim as they manipulatively sell and have no authority and knowledge about what they sell. Well, Paul, on the other hand, you see, is an apostle, an apostle empowered and anointed, sent one. That's what the word literally means. He exercises ministry by the will of God that is with God's authority. And everything that Paul has done in those previous 30 years of ministry has demonstrated that he has that authority. There is a consistency uh, about his authority throughout his ministry. That is, his ministry has been in keeping with the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. That is, there's no contradiction to what he claims and what he has done. There never has been. He's a recipient of the promise of life and has preached the promise of eternal life found in Christ. So the letter begins with this very big, bold statement of his authority. But then look, look at the contrast, verse 2. To Timothy, my dear son, you see how personal that is? Grace, mercy and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, remember where Paul is. He's in a really tiny, dark cell, very likely. Only light coming through a little kind of shaft in the, in the ceiling. The most appalling conditions. A soul-destroying dungeon, yet his heart is on fire for Timothy. He's not just, uh, in a wistful way, longing for his companionship. His love for Timothy draws him to pray. Timothy, his dear son, look what he prays for him. Uh, A prayer of three blessings. Grace, mercy and peace. Grace to the undeserving. Mercy to the helpless. Peace to the restless. How perfect for Timothy in Ephesus. What a friend Paul is. Oh, the letter begins unquestionably with great strength. But it's matched with this tender love, isn't it? And those things, my friends, are not mutually exclusive as so many people tell us. And that now extends into the following verses as Paul looks back into both his life but also Timothy's. It's a bit of a retrospect. He's kind of glancing back to both lives now as he begins uh, his letter. And here we get this snapshot and it will help frame both their relationship uh, but also what is to come as far as the content of the letter. And note also the context, thanksgiving prayer. Uh, So our first main point, Paul and Timothy. We get a snapshot, firstly, uh, of Paul himself. Look at him. I thank God prayerfully, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As day and night, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So as I said, Paul looks first back at his life, and then secondly at Timothy's as well. And how does he summarize his life at its end, nearing its end? How does he summarise his ministry as it nears its end? As I put there on your sheets there, Paul, we see a clear conscience and a spirit of prayer. Paul looks back 
And he thanks God whom he has served with a, let's look at that first one, a clear conscience. Now we know from elsewhere that Paul, I mean, as we've been reading through Acts, he was a barbaric man in many ways. Uh, in his early years. Uh, and he struggled just like all of us did. If you read Romans 7, you see his struggles with sin. That is, he hasn't always served God faithfully. He battles like all of us do. He was also a great persecutor. He's not a spotless character as an apostle of God. But looking back now at the big picture of his life, he's messed up, yes, but he has come back to God. He's repented. And he has asked for God's forgiveness. His ministry and life, therefore, summarised, looking back, big picture, is characterised by this clear conscience. Unlike Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were guilty, Paul is guilt-free through his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he knows. He stands with a clear conscience at the end of his ministry. There's no unresolved sins. There's nothing to hide. That's the point of that phrase. And it's why he could say in his previous letter, he has fought the good fight. He wasn't perfect. But he has given everything. And he's not held on to anything, any particular sin in his life uh, that could hinder his service in the gospel. Paul's life and his ministry are first marked by this clear conscience. Secondly, by his spirit of prayer. Have you seen that? He thanks God for Timothy, his dear son, and his prayers. Here in many other places, we see this battle-scarred warrior of the gospel. He's like a man-mountain, isn't he, for God? And yet here is a man on his knees, day and night, tearfully and with great joy, praying for his friends and his fellow gospel workers. He's chained in this... Damp, dark cell, and his mind isn't veering as he nears the end of his life toward the golf course, as probably so many are. He's not seeking personal comfort or planning his next trip abroad. Like the rest of his Christian life, his heart and mind expressed in and through his prayers are fixed wholly on the saving good news of Jesus. And it being made known throughout the world. It's sobering, isn't it? When I was looking at this, I just couldn't help think, if I were in those circumstances, and I cannot imagine that for one moment, but if I were, where would my head be? Where would my heart be? Self-pitying, dreaming of some personal comfort. Well, look where Paul's were. Chained in the dark, waiting for the moment for the executioner to knock. He can look back with a clear conscience. He says, nothing to hide. And his life and ministry have been characterised by this relentless prayerfulness. But now Paul remembers Timothy. Uh, Let's just look at verse 4 and 5, if we can. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. How's Timothy reminded? How do we characterize Timothy as a man of sincere faith? 
Paul is maybe recalling Timothy alongside all the elders in Ephesus. As he had to say, as they all had to say farewell to Paul. We can, do you remember reading about that in Acts 20, verse 37? All the elders in Ephesus, they were in tears as Paul had to leave them. Maybe they're the tears in verse 4. We're not sure. It could be that uh, Paul is uh, reminding himself of the time that he was arrested and taken to Rome because Timothy was likely there. Maybe it was, there were tears then. We're not sure exactly where these tears come from, but he's recalling them. And again, we see something of the brotherly affection between these two men, don't we? Of which, again, they're not ashamed to speak of and is good. Paul longs to see Timothy so that his heart may be filled with joy, as he says later in chapter 4. And that may be because he needs provision and companionship. It may be just that he longs to see Timothy to protect him and to encourage him. Whatever his motivation that he longs to see him later on, what is clear that Paul wants to be reunited with Timothy, which is extraordinary, isn't it, in itself? Think of these two men. Paul, you know, this man, man, he's like the SAS soldier, isn't he, for the gospel. Uh, You know, there, there are few men in the whole of history that have ever suffered more than Paul. Yet after being beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, flogged on many occasions, and so much more, each time he got up and preached the gospel of good news, he's like Bear Grylls, like times a million, you know, uh, for Jesus. All of that put together. Timothy, by contrast, is young, timid by nature and personality, prone to sickness. These men are like the total opposites. And yet they're united in Christ. They love each other. They're united in their purpose to proclaim Christ. And we see that affection throughout. And Paul here is recalling In terms of affection, his sincere faith that he sees in Timothy. And he links it to his grandmother and his mother. Paul knew, you see, Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he knew their faith. He knew that was genuine. He'd seen it worked out throughout many, many years. And Paul now sees that same sincere, authentic faith in the life of Timothy. And therefore... As he trusted those women, he now trusts Timothy, his dear son. Despite, you see, Timothy's natural weaknesses. And let's be honest, he isn't someone you... If you were to, you know, remember how you used to pick teams at school? Do you ever do that? You know, like playing football and let's say, oh, you pick that one first and then that one second. If you were to pick, line up Timothy against the wall and say, let's, right, we're going on some mission somewhere. Let's take picks. He'd be the last person you choose. He's the runt of the pack, if you like. But you see, it's Timothy's weakness that allows God's strength to be made clear in his ministry. And God does that, doesn't he? Again and again in the Bible. But here the call from the Apostle Paul is that Timothy is to continue his ministry beyond his natural abilities. Paul writes to Timothy and shows that He believes in him. He trusts him, despite obvious weaknesses to all. And Timothy, just imagine that for a moment. He's opening up this letter. He's reading this letter. Uh, Do you imagine how encouraged he must be to hear from Paul, the apostle, 
that he believes in him. He can see his sincere faith. His mentor wasn't doubting him, quite the contrary. How encouraging. Are there, some of you, I'm sure you, has a boss ever really trusted you with something? Is that great when someone does that? How heartening. We were away in Sheffield a few weeks ago, as I mentioned, uh, and uh, I went back to my, my home church, Sarah and I's home church, actually, in Sheffield. And uh, it was a great weekend. Uh, we were at their church weekend away, and I introduced my boys to a, a man named Philip Hacking. He was the minister of that church when I grew up there. And he's in his 90s now. He's a very frail man, um, struggling on a number of ways. And uh, Philip and I used to play cricket together. I used to get hauled along to play for the church team sometimes. And uh, they do that in the north. You know, you play you're like, on these little lawns. Oh, it's great. And I remember going away to university, and he'd send me letters quite regularly. He's got a church of, you know, 1,000, 2,000. He used to regularly write to me, just one side of, you know, those little old A5 sides. And he used to put checks in those letters for me to organise events with my hockey and my cricket friends so that they might hear the gospel. He believed in me to tell my friends about Jesus. See, the effect of godly people who believe in you gives you confidence, doesn't it? Uh, Eunice and Lois had this effect on Timothy, and now Paul was doing the same as he saw this sincere faith in Timothy. Having looked back, Paul now looks forward. As we near the end, uh, we're going to look to verse 6 and 7. And we see here one of the first appeals, what is the first appeal, the first charge, if you like, of this letter. There's going to be a number as we go through. But here's the first, verse 6. For this reason, that is, uh, because of your sincere faith, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, through my authority. For the Spirit of God gave us, uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So our second last point, uh, more quickly, Paul's appeal to Timothy, or charge, Firstly, is to fan into flame the gift of God. When I was a boy, I was uh, in the, uh, the Scouts. Is anyone else? Some of you probably weren't. I hope a lot of you weren't, but there we go. Um, I was a Scout, um, and I went to, went to this particular weekend camp. Now, if you thought it rained and thundered last night, I'm sure like this camp, week, this whole weekend was just rain. It relentlessly rained all weekend. Uh, but we were not, I had this slightly psychotic scout leader who was actually a professor in kind of chopping up dead bodies and autopsies and so on. He was absolutely mad. He had gas canisters and gas cookers within his tent, but he wouldn't allow any of us to cook on them. We had to cook on an open fire. We had to find wood, dry it out. He was really quite crazy. But there we were all weekend, damp wood, trying to get it going. And essentially, we spent the whole weekend fanning things like this with plates and all sorts of things. We were fanning for hours all day just to try and get this wood going. And then when you got it going, you had to keep it going. So we were fanning. Honestly, we all came back and our forearms were just in agony because we were just fanning this fire all weekend. But we got it hot, red hot, 
and we cooked and we kept warm. Now, Paul's image of the flame in Timothy is not a mistake. He doesn't say to Timothy, you need to get warm. He says uh, he must keep fanning and keep red hot. But what is this gift of God he is to fan into flame? I mean, he has that authentic faith (coughs) of his mother and his grandmother. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trusted Jesus and therefore uh, he's received this gift from God. And he's to cultivate this gift of faith. He's to fan that into flame. But the context is much more specific. It is faith that must, it has to, withstand suffering and trial. Look down at verse 8 if you can, just into next week's passage. It must rejoice despite suffering. It is faith that will keep in and going, in and through trial and suffering. Now you can imagine the bombshell that that would have been, can you, for Timothy. Timothy, old Timothy. That, you know, we see something of his nature, don't we? And he seems shy, possibly introverted, and so all of these things. He, met, he was probably gifted in many ways for ministry, able to preach, able to teach, able to lead the church in Ephesus. But his timidity, his timidity could easily become an excuse. How easy would it have been to say, oh, things are going a bit badly. I'm going to fold everything up and I'm going to go back to accountancy. I'm not saying it could have been anything, but you you get the picture. (laughs) Especially given the context of suffering. It's easy for us to give up, isn't it, when things get tough. Fan into flame the gift of God. That is, our faith must be red hot, ready for the tough times. But Paul's appeal is not a charge for Timothy to grit his teeth and dig deep in and of himself. Fanning into flame what has been gifted to him is not something to be done alone. I remember on that camping trip, uh, you know, the wood got so wet at times that there were like two or three of us just like fanning, 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 fanning. You've got to keep it going, keep it going. You could not do it on your own. We needed help. Timothy was not alone and nor are we as we cultivate our faith in Christ. We're not only as a church, but also uh, we have someone, we have a gift We have the Spirit, as we see in verse 7. The Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's our last point here. We may be like, you see that, Timothy. Timothy. We may have all sorts of struggles and challenges in, in our lives of faith. You know, when you consider talking to your friends about faith, how your faith, how do you feel? Maybe you don't even consider because your, your feelings are so kind of, you're so drawn into yourself that, no, I can't even possibly go there. I might dare to pray once, but to enter into a conversation and mention my faith in Jesus, that's just way too far. So often we think we can never be used by Christ to make his gospel known. Look, my friends, Timothy has every excuse in his armory. To keep quiet about Jesus. To compromise. To give up. But that is the point you see. It doesn't matter. Because it's not about Timothy. It's not about you and it's not about me. 
It's about the Holy Spirit working in and through weak people like you and me. Because the Spirit gives us power, love, self-discipline, gifts that we need for ministry to speak of Jesus and live lives of faith, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And I know we don't live in Nero-persecuted Roman Empire. We don't live in those kind of difficult circumstances. But I think Timothy would have found it equally difficult to walk into a business place of London in the 21st century with its hostility to the gospel. I'm not trying to downplay how difficult it is now to share faith in a pluralistic, secular London context. It's different, but it's no less difficult. And if you feel weak and unable to speak of the gift of faith you know in Christ, well, did you know that that actually makes you the perfect receptacle for God's power? Although all through the Bible, God chooses the weak, And God chooses again and again and again people who say, I can't do this. And he gives them everything so they can. All through the Bible, God uses nobodies. People who come to him, knees knocking, hearts pounding. People who finally give up trying to do things in their own strength with their own natural abilities. And look, let's be honest. So many of you have got so many natural abilities some of you just need to say, I can't do it with those. I need God's strength. And if you're feeling weak and unusable by God, that's amazing. That's the best place to start. It's not a matter, you see, of personality or ability. It's a matter of God's power in and at work, in and through you. Be careful, though. Verse 7 doesn't undermine verse 6. Now, do you see what I mean by that? Oh, Timothy was gifted. He had faith. He probably could preach and teach and all of those things, but he was now alone. Paul was gone, never to return. And Paul believed him and he charged him to fan into flame, to red hot flame these gifts of God. He had a responsibility with what God had given him. But God would empower and strengthen him by a spirit for all that was to come. Essentially what we see here is Paul is encouraging Timothy, saying, hey, come on, step up. Humbly, step up. Trusting in the strength that God would bring by his spirit. What about you and me, just to finish? We all have gifts useful for Christ and the gospel. We all have gifts that have been given for the building up of God's church here I wonder, are you going to step up? Are you going to fan into flame the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to trust God to strengthen you by his Holy Spirit? And if that is you, look what you are to expect. Power. Power to speak and do beyond what you think your natural abilities can do. Expect love, burning love for God, his people, and for the souls of those who, you do, who do not know salvation in Christ. If you struggle to 
if your heart doesn't break and you don't weep for the people around you, knowing their eternal destiny, pray for God's spirit to work in you. Expect love. Lastly, self-discipline. Self-discipline, which is so needed in a world full of distractions. Don't think little. Give up trusting your own strength and abilities and allow God to take what maybe feels very weak. That is you. And that is me. So that he might use it for his glory. Let's pray as we close, shall we? Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you very much that we can hear of and get a glimpse of this personal, loving, encouraging letter from Paul to Timothy. Lord, for all that we see in Paul, I pray that he would be a great example to us, likewise of Timothy for his sincere faith and for the charge to fan into flame this gift of God. Lord, I pray that the faith that we know and trust, that we have a relationship with you, I pray that we would fan that into flame as we come to hear you speak through your word, as the Spirit works in us. Please may we be red-hot Christians, people who are useful to you to make your Son, the Lord Jesus, known for the salvation of many, we pray. Amen.